The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to this week's Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we've got the latest AV news. I bring you behind-the-scenes details of the gadgets in my life this week. And Phil Hinton hosts another Home Cinema Roundtable discussion. This week's, this week's Audio-Visual News. Ofcom to look at Freeview HD proposals in detail. Hollywood want 3D, not HD. Sony finally announced BD hardware as Toshiba cuts the HD DVD price. And Samsung launched display calibration for the masses in Germany. We start this week with news that Ofcom is to have a rethink over its plans to sell off the radio spectrum when analog TV is shut down in 2012. The regulator has received over 600 emails of complaint during its consultation period, as well as being lobbied by over 40 MPs and the BBC who ran its own consultation into Freeview HD. Ofcom says it's now considering its response and states they are still reviewing the responses to the consultation, but already it's clear that a wide range of issues have been raised and will require detailed consideration. These include representations about reserving Spectrum for high-definition TV services on Freeview and holding Spectrum back from the award for possible future innovations. They add that they will consider the responses on these and all other issues very carefully over the coming weeks. In the consultation document, Ofcom says its objective was to maximise the benefits of the so-called digital dividend to society as a whole. By way of comparison, consultations on public service broadcasting and TV food advertising to children received about 30 responses each. Fingers crossed that they make the right decisions soon on HD broadcasting. It seems that Hollywood execs are still not overly convinced with Blu-ray and HD DVD technology. Jeffrey Gatzenberg, CEO of DreamWorks Animation, has surprisingly poured cold water on Blu-ray and HD DVD, predicting that both formats represent no more than a video file niche. Instead, he cites 3D technology as the next big format to be universally accepted by the general public. He told reporters that he doesn't think HD is going to become the next platform for anybody's business and we're not going to go from VHS to DVD to HD DVD or Blu-ray. He states that for most customers the benefits of jumping from standard to high definition aren't big enough. While 3D sounds interesting, poor old Jeffrey was unable to give any details on how this technology was going to work or even when it was due to be launched. And I can say from personal experience, having seen most of the 3D solutions available over the last couple of years, we've still got a long way to go yet. Staying with HD, and Sony have announced the release of its first UK Blu-ray player this summer. The BDP-S1E will feature a 1080p 24Hz output for true film-like playback and upscaling of standard DVDs to 1080p. Connections include eight phono outputs for linear PCM sound, along with HDMI. The player is compatible with AVC-HD format discs, as well as CD and CDR. File compatibility includes MP3 and JPEGs. 
Sony says the BDP-S1e represents one of the company's most powerful and intelligent consumer audio and video equipment devices ever developed, setting new standards in high-definition audio-visual playback of movies. It also has an unusual finish. The player's coated glass front shimmers with a blue light, which disappears once the ambient light is turned down. And Sony is also celebrating with the fastest first 100,000 sales belonging to the Blu-ray release of Casino Royale. It took DVD over 18 months since launch to achieve this sales figure, yet Sony claimed Blu-ray has managed it in a mere 8 months since launch. However, those business savvy amongst us will correctly guess that the latest Bond movie was given away in the States with each PS3 console sold, so this somewhat muddies the waters in actual sales figures. This didn't stop Sony once again, saying that it's looking at HD DVD through the rearview mirror, which kind of sums up the whole point of the press release. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Great Divide, Toshiba confirmed that it will be cutting the price of its HD E1 HD DVD player in the UK by £100. The player will now retail for £339, with certain retail outlets also offering the deck with two free HD DVD movies available via redemption. Spokesman Nathan Sheffield said, This represents exceptional value for those looking for a high-performance, high-definition disc player. The price drop allows the brand's 1080p-capable HDEP10 to slot into the range at £449 when it arrives in May. The top of the range, HDXE1, remains unchanged at £650. And finally for this week's news is the exciting development of display calibration for all German customers of Samsung. We at AV Podcast have been preaching the necessity of having your display devices properly calibrated for a number of years now, and it finally looks like the manufacturers are listening to what consumers want. In association with Data Color, Samsung is shipping all new flat panel TVs sold in Germany with special calibration software, and is running training courses for all its dealers, allowing each sale to come with expert installation and calibration at no extra cost to the customer. Datacolor and Samsung complement each other perfectly in their high-quality standards, says Marcel Gonska, technical training coordinator at Samsung CE. We are pleased to be able to provide Datacolor technology to our specialist dealers at an attractive price. Everyone involved benefits from the Samsung Calibration Initiative. The retail partner gets to offer its customers an exclusive service, while the customer enjoys the brilliant picture quality tailored to their individual surroundings. It has allowed Samsung and Datacolor, together with ambitious retailers, to revolutionise the CE market in Germany. The AV Podcast understands that if successful, this initiative will eventually be rolled out Europe-wide. It certainly sounds promising news and may help convince consumers that accurate display calibration really does make a difference to the home cinema experience. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. With more gadgets than Q-Branch. The name is Bond, James Bond. This is the AV Podcast. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that each week I try and give you a glimpse behind the scenes of my gadget life. And I think this week, one phrase stands out from all others. Mr. Bradbury, your N95 is ready. 
What a wonderful few words that is. It's poetic, isn't it, in its simplicity? Because, of course, uh, it's referring to the fact that Nokia's new uh, N-series, the N95, and it's the phone that I've predicted uh, will be the only real contender for the iPhone's dominance of the 2007 mobile phone market. I mean, assuming that uh, you're not already specced up on it, I'm, I'm pretty confident that most people listening to this will know the phone's specs by heart already. But um, just in case, it's not just 3 3G, HSDPA compatible. I think that's high-speed download packet access with a theoretical um, download of 1.8 meg. So that's almost 2 meg broadband in a phone. It works on uh, GPRS as well, 3G and HSDPA. Bluetooth, obviously. It's Wi-Fi, which, you know, is useful but not, you know, a big wow. But what is a big wow is the GPS, which comes bundled on board uh, with uh, maps for just about everywhere. The amount of maps has garnered quite a lot of coverage in the press. You've got a, I think it's a 5 megapixel camera. I might be wrong on that, so double check that. Uh, But I know because I've actually played with one, it has got a widescreen format, uh, slightly wider than my N73. Works on a Symbian operating system, which for me is good news because I think that's, uh, well, it's certainly my, my phone operating system of choice. And, you know, it's just presented in a really nice package. You slide the screen uh, two ways instead of the usual one. One to uncover a keyboard. Another way to uncover a kind of uh, multimedia keypad, which for um, AV Forum members will obviously be uh, of interest uh, because the phone is orientated towards those of us who want a little bit more multimedia flexibility in our pocket. So the widescreen format helps for, uh, I guess, movie downloads, TV downloads, that sort of stuff. Uh, the fact that it's got, um, you know, its own separate uh, play, pause, forward, you know, back, backwards, all that sort of stuff, uh, button configuration, I think just points at how serious Nokia are about this machine, uh, having the grunt in terms of processor and flash memory, uh, the screen and the controls to deliver possibly the, the first proper multimedia experience in a handset. So all of those things thrown together uh, in what is actually surprisingly a lightweight and relatively re- relatively stubby phone, I think bodes really well. Uh, although I've got the message that it's ready for me, I haven't picked it up. So um, maybe when I do that, I think I'm getting a hold of it tomorrow. I can make that, uh, if I remember to, the subject of my uh, my next behind the scenes. The biggest news and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard hiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. This week's Roundtable Discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. So welcome along to another Roundtable here on the Home Cinema Podcast. This week's panellists are Robert Toomey, Seth Gecko, and returning this week is uh, Neil from T&W Marketing. Hello, Neil. Hi there, Phil. Neil, you went here two weeks ago when everybody uh, kind of introduced themselves to the podcast listeners and everybody gave the sort of background into uh, where we all sort of started off and where we are now and so on. Um, obviously, you work within the industry, but that won't always have been the case. So maybe you want to give people a, a sort of idea of where you've come from and um, where you are at the moment. Yes, certainly. Um, I actually have a, a slightly varied uh, history, so uh, it might be interesting for some people, I guess. Um, I actually started off uh, at university with a degree in electrical and electronic engineering. Um, so I always had a, an interest in, in technical subjects and the, you know how things worked and so on. But I, I guess uh, electronics wasn't quite for me, 
So I, I actually spent quite some time working as an embedded software engineer uh, once I left university, um, actually designing uh, test systems and so on for uh, engine controllers of all things. Uh, so not really related to uh, the world of AV that I'm in just now. However, of course, like uh, all of us, I was an enthusiast. Um, didn't have so much money and wasn't quite such an enthusiast then as I am now. Uh, so started off uh, fairly, fairly small, um, just at the beginning of DVD. Um, I actually started out with a, a home cinema in the box system. Was fairly happy with it for for some time, um, but as my interest. Uh, and, and AV and all subjects AV grew so my uh, interest in embedded software uh, tailed away um, and so a couple of years ago uh, I decided that it was time to, to make the move into the industry full time um, and I actually decided that the best way to do that with my interests and so on would be to be as an ISF calibrator um, and so I actually uh, took the, the ISF course and the HJA course um, and became certified in those two two subjects um, and since then uh, I guess people on the forums will most likely know the, the AV Doctor banners um, I also post under the name CWENHAD on the forums uh, so people will see AV Doctor in the signature there um, and that is the calibration business that I started out started out working with in the industry I guess um, I was quite lucky though uh, on the training course for the ISF to, to meet a couple of guys um, from Belgium, uh, a guy called Tom Van Toon and another guy called Wim DeVos um, and Tom and Wim had actually just started at that time a new company by the name of Team W Marketing well we, we got on quite well and uh, subsequently uh, they asked me if I would be interested in joining Team W Marketing and so, well, really it was an opportunity not to be missed and so I, I joined those guys in that company um, and so now I find myself working almost full time uh, with T&W Marketing uh, and the, uh, the the calibration side with AV Doctor really is a, a secondary thing for me now but, but still some interesting jobs come along and still do some calibrating I guess that probably leads us into a question of what T&W Marketing actually is um, it's probably not a company that, that the consumers on the forum will know being a, a distribution company and um, we tend to work solely with, with the trade but T&W works right across the whole of Europe um, we have a number of brands that we represent uh, in all of the European countries and between us we have uh, six or seven languages within the, the five people that work in the company sadly I only have one uh, two when I'm drunk and I can have some Scottish in there, but uh, a, a one-language guy. Um, and so what that means is I, I take care of all of the business in the UK and Ireland, um, whereas the other guys have, have the rest of Europe shared between them. Um, so that's how I, I come to be with T&W Marketing. Quite an, an interesting uh, angle into the, the whole AV thing. What was it that, that interested you the most to, to sort of start you on your route to where you are now? Well... Uh, with my background in electronics and software I was always very interested uh, in how stuff worked and technology and so on really developed quite an interest in consumer technology um, and really as that interest grew 
I found myself becoming much less interested in what I did for a living and, and really spent much more time researching and being involved with products and so on. Um, and really it became clear to me that there was no real future for me uh, in software because I wasn't interested enough in it. Um, whereas AV really, that was the, the whole subject area I find fascinating. I guess if uh, people have been listening to some of the other podcasts, they'll know that I find the technical aspects behind it very interesting indeed. Um, the, the products that you see in front of you don't just arrive there. There's a, a huge amount of work involved in designing these products and making them. And I think really it was that background that, that made me become interested in it. And really that's why calibration was perfect for me. Um, it's a, a very technical subject, um, but also very scientific. Um, there's no sort of grey areas with calibration. Um, there are rules and so on to follow. And I think that worked very well for me when I was starting out. So obviously that should give um, our listeners a little bit of insight into your background, Neil. And lo and behold, it brings us into our first little discussion point of the evening, which is uh, quite an interesting, if not controversial, thread in the DLP and LCD projectors forum. Um, And the thread was titled PJ Calibration, A Simple Experiment and Conclusions. And it was started by forum member Annie Bapp. Uh, and basically, he's run a, a, a little experiment with himself and some friends. And um, I, I guess his basic conclusions at the end of, of this was that um, he didn't really perceive that big a difference in properly calibrating his display. And actually, we should just set our displays to what we think looks good. Um, I may have picked that up wrong. I don't know what you other guys thought of the thread. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was an interesting experiment to have gone through. Although it seems that the thread has uh, per- perhaps changed a little bit, there are some strong viewpoints on there, pro and uh, against calibration. So certainly an interesting thread. What do you other guys think, Robert? What did you think when you had a, re- a read through there? I've had a look through it, and I mean, I've never had my machine calibrated in my room, uh, my uh, Infocus seventy two hundred five. However, it does come sort of as they say, sort of pre-calibrated to the D65 standards. I mean, I've looked at some of this stuff and I've fiddled around with a few things myself since I've had the projector, but to be honest, the projector looks more or less good enough out of the box. You know, what I've got in my room, perhaps I just got lucky in my room set up in the right way. I I mean, obviously people get very strong feelings about something that they've done themselves and it's worked, so people are going to argue what they think is better because, you know, it worked for them. But if it hasn't worked for someone else, obviously that other person needs to find their own way. You know, if it means calibrating it and they get the better result that way, bonus. Okay, so so you obviously go along the line of you think your machine's good enough for you at this moment in time in your room um, and you don't think that by following the the guidelines that are set down for calibration you'll gain gain anything from that? Is that what, what you're saying, I, Robert? I think the gains would be minimal for the amount of time I'd probably have to spend doing it. I mean, I did spend a little bit of time using a setup disc when I first got it, and the changes I made were so minor. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't think I certainly in my current financial position, I'd, I'd pay someone to calibrate it for me. Um, if I had a very expensive setup and I had lots of money, then yes, I'd, I'd definitely want to get the best out of the equipment I bought. But what I've got. I get a good enough picture. I, I know it can't get that much better without going up to a better projector. So, you know, I feel why endlessly fiddle around with something that I'm happy with and just sit back and enjoy it. 
Okay, so you're more sit back, enjoy what you've got because you think it's the picture you're getting is good enough. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It it, it doesn't. You know, I'm not. I'm, my enjoyment isn't being detracted by the picture. Possibly could have been a you know an extra slightly bit more vibrant on that corner of the image or something like that. You know, it's it's good enough to sit down, enjoy watching a film, have a laugh. You know, I'm happy with that. Okay, which seems to be one of the argument points on that thread. If you don't mind me asking, Robert, how much did uh, did your projector cost you? Well, I bought mine a year and a half ago. Uh, at that point, I paid... Well, I paid 2700 That may sound like a strange question, but we'll come back to that, I'm sure, as we go on. Um, let's move on to uh, to Seth. Seth, uh, what's your views on the thread? And, and obviously, uh, Robert's given us one, one opinion on the side of the, the argument. What do you think? Um... I have to choose my words very carefully now. From a scientific perspective, the, the, the alleged test is pointless and worthless because it is skewed on a, such a small sub uh, s- uh, amount of data um, in a, a very specific condition to basically be invalid. Okay, so, that's, so, that's so what view. you're saying is... Um... You can't make a, glo- a, a sweeping statement that says calibration isn't worth the effort because we calibrated one screen and uh, in one room and didn't perceive to be any difference. You know, how many screens are out there, how many different environments are out there, how many you know, possible variables are there to throw into the equation. And the bottom line is is that is not a uh, a test that is valid in any scientific context. Okay, so scientifically, you think it, it's, it's not worth uh, the page it's written on. However, from a point of view of... of um, Owning a piece of equipment and thinking that you've you've got a good picture there and, and your eyes like the picture that's there, um, is there anything wrong with, with with somebody coming out with that opinion? It's an erroneous opinion, basically an enforced opinion based on a skewed set of data. So what you're to, what they're saying is is um, for this piece of equipment in this in my conditions, I'm happy with it. That doesn't mean to say that it's perfect. That doesn't mean to say it's improved. It just means he's happy. We've got two sides of the argument there. I mean, I could give you my input, but as I'm hosting uh, this chat today, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved. But I think that Neil's going to say exactly um, what I'm thinking. So, so, Neil, we'll come back to you then. You've had Robert's view. You've seen the thread. You've seen the different views on there. Um, yourself being a, a professional calibrator, I, I don't really want to put you on the spot, but I'm sure you have your opinion into into this thread and into the, this argument that's going on in the forums at the moment. So, um, what what's your response to it? Well, it, it's an interesting thread because I think it raises not only some questions but it also raises some misconceptions. Calibration itself isn't a question of making a picture necessarily better. It's about making a picture more accurate, which usually results in it looking a lot better. I can assure you but it is a question of making the picture accurate to the many published standards uh, that we have out there for video. In my opinion, of course, uh, calibration is very important uh, on all systems, and it was interesting that there was a a comment there about more and more displays coming pre-calibrated from the factory. Well, I can assure you from personal experience that uh, pre-calibrated from the factory means nothing. Uh, it means that it's probably a bit better than ones that don't advertise as pre-calibrated, but there's almost certainly 10-15% at least uh, to be extracted from that display. 
even looking at something like the, the Meridian projector, which is way over £20,000, uh, and it has a half day of pre-calibration, it still has quite large uh, errors uh, in colour tracking. It has very, 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 very good uh, white uniformity, but it still has errors in the colour tracking. So I, I really do feel quite strongly that, that calibration is an important part of the usage of equipment. Now, it's interesting as well that we're talking a little bit about the value of equipment compared to the value of the calibration. One of the things that there is also a, perhaps a misconception about is that it's only better in inverted commas equipment uh, that will benefit from calibration. That's certainly not the case. Um, anything will benefit from a calibration, making it more accurate in colour. Um, obviously, the, the, the better the product, a more accurate calibration can be obtained, um, but anything can be made better. Now, one of the things that, that listeners may be interested to learn, as an example, uh, we already know that Pioneer have an ISF mode built into all of their displays. Now, that ISF mode and, and the Pioneer panels, um, it's not particularly accurate uh, when you start adjusting it out of the box and certainly the, the default modes uh, that the Pioneer ships with are fairly inaccurate um, even the movie mode still maybe 20, 30 Delta E uh, which is a very very noticeable uh, colour error but once you go in and, and you calibrate them you can get them down to 2 or 3 Delta E which is something that the eye can hardly perceive as an error from what they should be but in Germany at the minute, uh, Samsung is actually uh, on a, a very, very strong initiative uh, to support calibration. Um, they have released some dedicated software uh, which they've developed with Datacolor uh, to allow calibration of all Samsung televisions and they're training all of their dealers in Germany how to do calibration. What that should tell you is that, that Samsung as a manufacturer have recognized how important proper calibration in the home is to getting the very best performance out of their products. And I don't think anyone would would try and accuse Samsung of being a, a an overly high-end brand that charges a huge premium for the products or anything. No, they're a, a, a good quality brand, uh, an everyday brand that people buy, and yet they are a brand which believes so strongly in calibration that they have invested so heavily in doing that with all of their dealers in Germany. So it will be interesting to see how that one pans out and if it uh, translates over here to the UK. Now, one of the things that, that's being argued within this thread um, is that um, there seems to be a, a, a snobbery aspect to those who say that calibration should be done. And the argument is that you're only going to get 1% or 2% here or there to the picture after you've actually sat down with DVE or, or, or Avia and done your contrast and done your, your colour tests and all the rest of it, um, how much more can you get out of your display? There seems to be the argument, uh, 1% or 2% and paying an ISF calibrator to, to get 1% or 2%. Is that more inf uh, misinformation there, Neil? Well, again, I, I believe it certainly is. There are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, people use DVE and Avia all the time and... Uh, it really actually is a, a common fact that when you go into a house to do a calibration, the owner almost certainly will have used DVE or Avia beforehand, 
and to be honest with you, that's a, a blessing sometimes because the settings are so far off. I'm sure that's not the case in all instances, but uh, really quite often you find that the settings, even with a calibration DVD, have been done incorrectly. Contrast, brightness, sharpness and colour saturation, as we went over maybe three weeks ago on the podcast, are very, very, very important things to set correctly. And if you can set that correctly, yes, you're going to go a long way to getting a more accurate picture. There seems to be a slight misconception, though, on the importance of grayscale calibration in a display. Now, it's the grayscale calibration that we're referring to when we're talking about D65, 6504, 6500 Kelvin, all these different names are talking about the white point which is defined uh, for the displays. Now, on a display, the, the colours are, are made up simply by mixing red, green and blue in the correct ratios. The correct ratio can only be defined when the TV is accurately tracking a D65 uh, grayscale. What that really means is that if you don't have an accurate grayscale, none of the colours on the display, none of them, will be accurate. Um, and where you can most commonly see this on displays where they have a, a heavy blue emphasis in the, in the grayscale is in the colour yellow. The colour yellow shifts towards green. Um, you can see it in the Sky Guide or National Geographic, all of these channels where there are sort of yellow boxes. They have a green tinge and the reason for that is that the, the, the white point is too blue. It's as simple as that. So by correcting the white point you actually correct all of the other colours on the display and that really has a huge impact on what you're seeing. So certainly it's uh, a lot more than one or two percent. Before we wrap up on, on this thread and on this subject, Robert, what's, what's your opinions? Has is, is, is anything changed since we since we started this discussion? Have, have you thought differently about how things are? Or Well, not, not a whole lot. I mean, if if I if I had money available to me, if I was you know currently employed and doing well enough to spend money on something like that, then I probably would go for a calibration just you know see if I could get more out of the display. Um, but because at the moment what I, when I watch things I'm quite happy, you know I don't, nothing's distracting from my pleasure. I don't see the need to try and find money to spend that I don't strictly need to. I'm more into the sound side of my setup anyway, so for me it's not such a big issue. The projector's good enough to give a good image. If I spent more money, you know, I'd, I'd definitely, if I was spending 20 grand on a projector, I'd definitely want to get every single last ounce of ability out of it, but I didn't. I spent sort of three grand, and for me, I'm happy with what it shows. Robert, would you ever think that if you're buying a, a piece of equipment like that, like a plasma or a projector, that maybe putting 10% of your budget aside for proper calibration would be a sensible thing? You can do that, but then you can put 10% aside for other things. You know, you put 10% aside for having your, for redecorating your room in a colour that's like a darker colour to make it more suitable. But it's not something that I'd splash money out on just for the sake of that in the meantime, because the image is good enough. If you think, oh, that looks a bit off, or, you know, that looks a bit, uh, you know, too blue or too green, or. So sometimes you can spend a while sorting something out, and it isn't even the display necessarily that was at fault. Okay, um,. So, Neil, is it a case of if if you're happy with the picture that you have, um, you don't really need to get calibration done? Well, no, I wouldn't go that far either. Certainly there's nothing to force people to get a calibration if they're happy with the picture. Um, you know, just, just because you're happy with the picture, that's fantastic. 
But what people uh, often don't realise is what can be achieved by calibration. Um, it's not everyone that has had the reference of seeing a calibrated display to realise what, what a calibrated display really looks like. And so with no real reference to say, I am happy with that, I find it difficult to then instantly discount calibration simply because they're happy. If they've seen a calibrated display and they're happy with their own, then fantastic, more power to them. And Seth, what's, just to round up, what, what's your viewpoint on, on this whole should I calibrate, should I not calibrate, should I put 10% aside and get it done or should I just set up myself so I'm happy? The, the bottom line is is, is um, a purely choice thing. If you are happy with it, then fine or well and good. But there is a difference between it being correct and it being, uh, you know, happy as such. You could be happy and it uh, not 100% correct from the calibration point of view. But if you're happy, who cares? Okay, so that wraps up um, that little subject there. And just on, on the subject of calibration, um, obviously it's something we take very seriously when we do our hardware reviews um, for the phones because we want to give you the most accurate information possible and because of that we're uh, we're actually going to embark on ISF training ourselves the myself and, and the review team uh, and Neil you're helping out in that regard and uh, you're helping out in that regard as T&W so why do you see that as, as an important step for, for you to help out well obviously uh TNW Marketing um, are going to be hosting the, the ISF training. We we actually host all of the, the ISF training in Europe these days under the ISF Europe banner. We actually work a lot with uh, manufacturers to help them improve their products um, and also with the, the custom install sector who really value the, the level of, of performance that they're getting out of a system. So perhaps a slightly different bracket from your average consumer who's just buying from a store. But the, the real reason that we see the importance of calibration is that, that to really understand what equipment is capable of, these days they're all coming with the calibration uh, settings that you need to be able to adjust them. And I, I think it's clear that there was no argument from anybody that a calibrated image on a system, regardless of cost, the calibrated system is almost always better and so when you're doing a, a review of a product it is important that it be reviewed at the, the level where it can get its best performance um, its quantifiable best performance um, and I think it's important that the readers of, of AV forums uh, are able to to see reviews and so on and know that the people doing the reviews uh, are enthusiasts who have also been trained properly uh, in calibration and really know how to to analyse a display and come up with the best performance of it. Um, people are perhaps under the, the misconception that there are no bad displays out there anymore. Um, I can tell you that's certainly not the case. And people, I guess, would be very surprised if, if they were able to do the sort of analysis uh, that the AV Forums team are going to be able to do uh, to really see what differences there are between the different displays and even display technologies and so on. And being ISF trained will allow the team to do that and then hopefully pass on that information in an accurate fashion to the readers uh, of the AV forums. And I guess another point I want to come on to while we're talking about um, calibration, whether it be uh, display devices or audio devices, <laughs> is that um, 
the forums really is the place to discuss this. It, it's why we've picked up on the thread um, that's been running this week because it really is interesting because it gives you a good insight into into what enthusiasts think and what, what enthusiasts want from their equipment. Uh, and I guess the best thing that we can do as a forums, Neil, is, is put the correct information out there, show people exactly how things should be done and how things should look. And obviously then they they should then have a reference point where, where they can go away and, and set the at least the basics to get things looking the way that they should and looking accurate. I mean, the, the, the Navy forums, Phil, is in a, a very interesting position in the market at the minute. Um, I guess people have kind of lost a bit of faith with the traditional press, um, there are a number of stories uh, that people may or may not know about some reviews in the in the traditional press recently, which have been absolutely scandalous um, with their inaccuracy. Uh, and it's a chance for the forums, uh, which is built on open discussion, to to give that information to the the readers of the forum in an open fashion, but really to also have the ability to be objectionable. And, and have real accuracy in what you're doing. I think it's a fantastic uh, opportunity for everyone. Okay, well, that's uh, that's been an interesting discussion tonight. Um, we've heard different sides, um, not necessarily of the argument, but di- but different opinions as to um, towards calibration. And obviously, that thread is there. It's in the DLP and uh, LCD forum. If you want to go and have a look, have a read up, and and maybe voice your own opinions or ask some questions, then head over to that area of the forums. As far as the roundtables are concerned, if you have any questions or even want to join in in one of our roundtable discussions and get advice from our weekly experts here, then just send us an email to help at avpodcast.co.uk. So that's been our roundtable for this week. Our thanks to Neil Davidson from TNW Marketing, Robert Toomey and Seth Gecko. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much and we'll see you again next week. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. If you have any questions for our panel guests on future roundtable discussions, or you would like to find out more about the subjects we've discussed this week and ask specific questions, then please email help at avpodcast.co.uk. That's help at avpodcast.co.uk and we will raise your questions and points in future episodes. If you have any questions regarding the calibration and setup of your system, problems with specific products, seeing artefacts which you don't understand, or any other AV-related problem, please feel free to email us and we will put the subject to the relevant experts for discussion. And if you have any ideas for subjects to cover in future roundtable discussions, Send that email in to us. This is your podcast and we want you to benefit from the help available from other forum members and industry personalities we invite to discuss topics on the roundtables. That email address again is help at avpodcast.co.uk help at avpodcast.co.uk and we look forward to hearing from you. Jason. Thanks, Phil. And that wraps up another Home Cinema Podcast. Until next week, this is Jason Bradbury saying... Thanks for listening, stay subscribed, and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.